Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to this edition of This Week in Business History for April 19th. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Hey, it's great to be back today after a couple of interviews and Kelly Barner filling in for me last week. Speaking of, how about Kelly Barner? Man, I love her writing, her wit, and delivery. The Metallica versus Napster episode was a great one, and Kelly's passion and love for all things history is clearly evident. Speaking of history lovers, we hear from a lot of our listeners, which we're very grateful for, by the way. I try to personally respond to each message. Recently, we heard from Jess Wiley in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I had asked him about his favorite topics in history, and he responded, quote, I've spent my career in the industrial distribution business and have a passion for parts suppliers of all kinds. My favorite time period would probably be the Second Industrial Revolution, and I'm currently researching the history of industrial distribution. I surmise that the first distributors would have surfaced during this time period, and there's little to nothing written on the topic, end quote. How true. Since I kicked off this podcast and have been on active historical research, it is amazing just how much meaningful and intriguing historical subjects especially across the business world, do not get much visibility. So big thanks to Jess and best wishes as he attempts to give the industrial distribution space more attention and visibility. And now, onward and upward, let's get back to this week in business history. One specific part of this beautiful world recently captured the global population's attention. Everyone was tuned into the story of the Ever Given, a container ship that had become stuck and clogged up traffic in the Suez Canal. Well, just how much do you know about this vital aspect of global trade infrastructure? I'm gonna try to surprise you today as we tackle 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal. Stay tuned, and as always, thanks again for joining us here on this episode of This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. Let's begin our look at 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal at the beginning, of course. On April 25, 1859, ground was broken for the Suez Canal at Port Said, Egypt. The name of the Suez Canal came from the southern end of the canal, which connects to the Gulf of Suez prior to opening up into the Red Sea. French diplomat Ferdinand de Lesseps struck the first blow with a pickaxe. Number two on our list, let's dive more into Ferdinand de Lesseps, who's considered to be the most responsible for the Suez Canal. 
He came from a family of diplomats, and he served as a French ambassador himself. During Ferdinand's time in government service in Egypt, he became friends with the son of the viceroy and became enamored with the entire region, as well as, naturally, how to grow commerce and trade. In 1849, Ferdinand de Lesseps retired from government service, frustrated with the French government's position on a particular issue. In 1854, Ferdinand's friend in the Middle East, the son of the Viceroy, Syed Pasha, officially became the new Viceroy of Egypt. And now, with nothing else to do, Ferdinand promptly moved back to Egypt. More on that in a moment. Number three on our list, the earliest notions of a canal linking the Mediterranean and Red Sea. This was not a concept born in the 19th century. In fact, it's been said that the earliest canals in the area had been dug in 609 BC under the leadership of Pharaoh Necho II. They had dug canals linking the Nile with the Great Bitter Lake and then the lake with the Red Sea. These canals worked well and were eventually widened about 300 years later. Somewhere around 100 BC, these canals were deemed no longer suitable for navigation and abandoned. In 1574, the Republic of Venice discussed the idea of digging a canal through the Suez Isthmus, the site of present-day Suez Canal, but the idea was dismissed due to cost. Napoleon Bonaparte ventured to Egypt with a band of merry engineers in 1798, and once again the project to build a canal gathered steam with the French contingent. However, it gets shelved once more, this time by an inaccurate survey of the land which falsely claimed that sea level differences would prevent a successful canal project from being viable. Number four on our list of 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal. So just how did the project get started? As we've learned for the 100,000th time here in the age of the pandemic, relationships matter. Remember Ferdinand de Lesseps and Syed Pasha? Well, once the latter became viceroy and the former moved back to Egypt, the canal project gathered steam once more. So much so that in 1854, the new viceroy granted his friend Ferdinand a 99-year concession for the digging and the use of a canal through the Suez Isthmus. In 1856, the Suez Canal Company was formed. Number five on our list, let's talk about the construction of the canal itself. It's been estimated that about 30,000 laborers were used to build the canal with most of that workforce made up of local Egyptians. Unfortunately, many of the workers were forced to work and it was exceptionally difficult and laborious work much of it involving hand tools. Later in the project, European workers were involved with construction and eventually some of the technology of the period was utilized, including steam shovels. A variety of issues slowed construction at times, including an epidemic and labor disputes. But the Suez Canal would be completed only four years behind schedule in 1869, 25 feet deep and 102 miles long and as many as 75 of these miles had to be excavated. Number six on our list of 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal. Where was the traditional sea power Great Britain during all of this? So initially, Great Britain opposed the canal, traditionally being a rival to France, 
the French-led project raised eyebrows in London. In fact, it's been said that Great Britain saw the canal project as an open act of defiance of their global shipping superiority of the time. But in 1875, the Suez Canal Company needed more money, and Great Britain swooped in to become the largest shareholder. Just seven years later, in 1882, a variety of factors would lead Great Britain to send troops and occupy Egypt. Great Britain's troops would not leave Egypt until 1956. Number seven on our list, Egypt reclaims its territory. On July 26, 1956, Egyptian President Abdel Nasser nationalized the Suez Canal. Simply put, he needed a dam on the Nile River and needed money to build it. Egypt first turned to Great Britain and the United States for financing of the dam, and they both turned down the request. So President Nasser declared martial law and seized control of the Suez Canal so they could charge tolls on those ships that transited through it so in turn they could raise money for the dam that way. Well, as they always do, bold actions in history typically trigger bold responses. On October 29, 1956, 10 Israeli brigades would invade Egypt, and the Suez Crisis was born. Now, this international conflict cannot be fully explained in this brief podcast, as many factors, politics, and global dynamics were involved. To that end, a few of the key outcomes of the Suez Crisis were this. On December 22, 1956, the United Nations cleared British and French troops from the area, which would have a big permanent impact on those countries' influence in the Middle East. After Israel withdrew their forces in March 1957, Egypt once again took control of the Suez Canal, and United Nations peacekeeping troops would be stationed in the Suez Canal. But just 10 years later, conflict in the region would erupt once again with the Six-Day War. Number eight on our list of 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal. The fate of 15 ships stuck in the canal while local governments fought and argued. In June 1967, there were 15 ships transiting the Suez Canal. Perhaps 15 of the unluckiest ships and crews in modern history. When the Six-Day War broke out, Egypt would close the canal, doing so with mines, scuttled ships, and bridges. These actions would trap all 15 ships for years. In fact, this flotilla would be named the Yellow Fleet due to desert sands that would eventually coat the vessels. In October 1967, the crews of 14 of the stuck ships would meet aboard one of the stranded vessels to form the Great Bitter Lake Association. Talk about one of the most unique HOAs ever. Remarkably, the ships would be stuck in the canal for eight years, finally becoming freed in 1975. Only two of the 15 ships would make it back to their home port under their own power. Number nine on our list, on the heels of a successful project, you would think Ferdinand de Lesseps would kick up his heels and enjoy his fortune. Unfortunately for him, Ferdinand had other ideas. First, it's important, I think, to survey Ferdinand's strengths. He wasn't an engineer, so it wasn't his technical prowess that made the Suez Canal happen. But rather, he was a skilled politician, facilitator, and dealmaker. 
10 years after the opening of the Suez Canal and in Ferdinand's 74th year, he turned his attention to a Suez Canal of sorts in the Western Hemisphere. Ferdinand de Lesseps would be chosen to lead the Panama Canal, which he envisioned as a sea level canal just like the Suez Canal had been. Work would begin in 1881, but after eight years of little gains, a French court would charge and convict Ferdinand de Lesseps and his son Charles with mismanagement. Tens of thousands of workers would lose their lives and hundreds of thousands of investors would lose their savings due to what became known as the Panama Affair. The hero of the Suez Canal would become the scoundrel of the Panama Canal and Ferdinand would be fined and threatened with imprisonment. Eventually, the United States would become involved in the Panama Canal construction, and the rest, as they say, is history. And finally, number 10 on our list of 10 things you didn't know about the Suez Canal, let's look at more recent history. In 2015, expansion of the Suez Canal was commissioned by the Egyptian government to the tune of $8.5 billion. President Sisi predicted that the expansion project would more than double revenue from $5 billion at the time to more than $13 billion by 2023. The project included widening of certain parts of the canal and added a new shipping channel in the northern part of the canal. It didn't help the Ever Given, which had gotten stuck in the southern part of the canal, which was untouched by the expansion project. And the expansion has yet to deliver on the ROI promised. Revenues in 2020 were only $5.6 billion. Even viewed through the pandemic lens, not sure if there are any signs of approaching $23 billion anytime soon. In fact, some trade analysts don't project a rosy future for growth at the Suez Canal anytime soon due to shifts in global shipping patterns and other waterway projects and developments. Despite it all, the Suez Canal remains a true modern engineering marvel and a key component of the global supply chain infrastructure. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. A big thanks to you, our listener, for tuning into the show each week. Be sure to let us know how we're doing. We'd love to earn your review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast channels. In fact, that helps us get the word out much better. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.